All praise is due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on his last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. The topic of today's khutbah was basically six lessons from Ramadan or six main lessons that we may learn from the fast of Ramadan. The Imam began by pointing out to us that whoever lets Ramadan go by without benefiting at all from it has in fact lost a major opportunity which cannot be returned. It's something he has, he's, he's had, a, it's a major loss. We miss a day of fasting, we try to fast back that day. We miss a salah, we try to make up that salah. But the period of Ramadan, with all that it signifies, if we are unable to take lessons from this period and to benefit from it, then we have lost much of what Ramadan is about. And he emphasized that Ramadan is like a school, a period of training that we go through for 30 days in which we are being reminded, we are being trained, and there are particular lessons which are to be gained from Ramadan. The first of the lessons is that of attaining a consciousness of Allah, which is known in Arabic as Taqwa. And this is stated in the verse regarding the fast. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu kutiba alaykum usiyamu كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَسْتَقُونَ O you who believe, fasting has been prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those before you in order that you may develop taqwa. And by taqwa is meant a consciousness of Allah, a sense of the presence of Allah, that Allah is watching us. That which this consciousness which would make us better individuals. This consciousness or this state of mind called taqwa was described by Ali ibn Abi Talib as fear of Allah or fear of the most glorious and contentment with little and preparation for travel. 
that is travel to the next life fear fear being an essential component of taqwa though there are some people who would promote that worship of Allah should be without fear you have some people particularly those who belong to uh, mystical groups known as tariqas you know they promote this idea that their worship of Allah is based only on the love of Allah fear is for the ignorant masses you know you do good because you love Allah not because you fear Allah it may sound theoretically uh, reasonable that you know you should do good not because you fear but because of your love of Allah this seems to be according to them that's how they promote it as being a higher level of faith but in fact it is not fear is something which you find mentioned throughout the Quran fear of Allah fear of Allah in the sense that one fears the punishment that would come from disobedience of Allah one loves Allah by striving to obey His commandments but at the same time one has to have a fear of the punishment of Allah these two are inseparable and they constitute the basic components of true faith and Abu Huraira had reported that whoever fasted or whoever was able to catch during the fast Laylatul Qadr that he would attain salvation from his previous sins and also whoever fasted the month of Ramadan ihtisaban that is seeking the pleasure of Allah and imanan with correct faith he would also attain salvation from his previous sins however this is only for those who fast in accordance to the way that the fast has been prescribed not merely following the letter of the fast as we spoke about in previous sessions but finding the spirit of the fast and fasting in accordance with it we know that because Prophet Muhammad was also reported to say that whoever doesn't give up false statements lies rumors and acting in accordance with these statements Allah has no need for that person's fast he also said that perhaps one who fasts will only get out of the fast thirst and hunger and he also pointed out that we should not make our days of fasting like our days of non-fasting they should be a difference so it is essential for us to approach the fast 
with the correct spiritual methodology in order that we may develop through the process of fasting a greater consciousness of Allah. The second lesson is the strengthening of one's bond with Allah through worship. The various acts of worship are our means of establishing a bond or a contact, a link with Allah. This month, all of the various acts of worship are increased in their quantity and in their sincerity, in, their, uh, in the way in which we apply them, due to the particular recommendations of Prophet Muhammad in order that when we come out of this month, we will be at a higher level than we were before we went into the month. And the human being is composed of a body, a mind and a soul. The food of the body is that of what we, could, we call food and drink, whereas the food of the mind is knowledge and the food of the soul is faith and consciousness of God. In this month, one seeks to develop a feeling of worship, a feeling for worship, due to the fact that we are striving to remember Allah. All of the different acts that we do should help to develop more of a consciousness of worship being the structure of our whole lives. You know, as Allah has a say in the Quran, Inna salati wa nusuki wa mahiyaya wa mamati lillahi rabbil alameen. That my prayers and the sacrifices which I make, my living and my dying, are for Allah the Lord of all the worlds. This is the true Muslim, one whose complete life, all of his waking hours and his sleeping hours become a form of worship of Allah. Because of that, we find that we are encouraged to read the Quran more in this month. And in reading the Quran more, we are increasing our consciousness or our contact with the word of Allah for the purpose of that word changing us because we're not just reading the Quran with the ritual idea of merely completing the Quran in Ramadan this is not the intention here the intention is to read the Quran with the desire to gain from what Allah has to say in the Qur'an. The, the uh, additional Qur'anic reading in this month was for the purpose of putting us more in contact with the words of Allah. The words of Allah which, if they find a place in our hearts, will 
affect the way that we live, the way that we exist. So we strive to increase our contact with the words of Allah during this month. In reading more Quran, it also means that we try to read less or to hear less of the Quran of Satan, Quran of Shaitan. The Quran of Satan is, as we pointed out in earlier sessions, music, stories, films, etc., which are not carrying us closer to Allah. Things which in fact give us certain pleasure, entertainment, but when we really look at the content, they're taking us farther away from Allah. So we try to do both. One, to bring ourselves more in contact with the Quran of Allah, the words of Allah. And at the same time in this month, we should try to avoid as much as possible what we attribute or we associate with being the Quran of Shaitan. Involved in this month, we're involved in, in night prayers, additional night prayers. That outside of this month, likely we are not. We may be praying on occasion at night, but in this month we have continual night prayers. This is to, again, encourage us and to strengthen us more that once we get out of this month, we will continue to pray more often at night. Because we, have no, we should have no doubt that the prayers which will be the most sincere are those prayers at night. When we get up from our sleep, when everybody else is asleep, nobody is watching us, nobody knows about it. When we get up and pray to Allah at that time, it, those prayers have a level of sincerity that is very difficult to achieve during our daily prayers. This is why the night prayer which we know as Tahajjud is recommended for us. So in this month we get special training, special uh, additional um, uh, practice in developing the desire to stay up at night and to turn to Allah in prayer. We also in this month increase our sittings with the righteous in this month because we're breaking fast uh, people are invited to our homes or we're invited to their homes these especially should be those people who are the more righteous we should try to invite people to our homes who we know are particularly righteous people who are actively involved in dawah etc to increase our contact with those who are involved in righteousness, to hear about righteousness more. We should go, they have circles where lessons are being given in this month, we should try to attend more in this month to get additional exposure. All of this, as we said, to increase and to strengthen our contact with Allah. The third lesson of Ramadan is that of patience and strengthening our will. No doubt, 
for a person to fast correctly it does require patience it does require willpower we have to strive and to struggle with ourselves to establish the fast correctly of course to do the ritual of the fast it doesn't require that much patience and willpower as we said you know for a person to eat a three course meal for suhoor and a three course meal for iftar to stay up all night in the middle of the night they're eating also then of course fasting during the day there's no willpower there's no uh, there's no test of patience you know there's no feelings of hunger no nothing you know a person sleeps all day he wakes up just before breaking of the fast he breaks the fast has his meals and this is why a number of people you know in, in some lectures that I've given concerning Islam and the misunderstandings concerning Islam I've had a number of people say to me what is this fast that you all practice all you do is just move the day along 12 hours you know you sleep you, you sleep during the day and you awake all night I mean, what's the big deal you know what what is that going to do for anybody what, what what good is this fast this is what they have observed of many of the masses of the people here that in fact what they do is change the day into the night and the night into the day and of course that fast that type of fast though it complies with the ritual of not eating between dawn and sunset there is no fast happening here it's not really a fast at all and naturally that type of a fast will not develop in the individual patience sober patience which is critical for success in this life when Allah in the surah known as Al-Asr described mankind all of mankind being in a state of loss Wal-Asr all of mankind being in a state of loss except those who believe and do righteous deeds except for those who encourage each other to stick to the truth to be righteous and those who encourage each other to be patient patience being a key and there are many other verses you know where Allah commands us to be patient you know and that he would reward those who are truly patient with paradise this is the ultimate reward for patience in this life so it is very important for us to ensure that we enter into the fast correctly so that we can learn the lessons of patience and the lessons of strengthening our willpower our ability to take a hold of our desires put them in check and not submit to them the fourth lesson is the escape from what we call showing off or riyah in Arabic it is al-imti'ad al-riyah that is it's like escaping from showing off doing acts that we may be seen by others this principle 
This principle of doing acts to be seen by others is a very, very dangerous principle. It is the principle which destroys all of the good that we do. If we are not careful, we might be doing a lot of things which are classically as, you know, referred to as being righteous deeds. But if we have this quality of doing things to be seen by others, then these deeds that we do lose their value totally. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ has said that the thing which I fear for, most for you is this riyah. And he described it as being like a black ant crawling on a black stone in the middle of a moonless night. It means this is something that you can hardly perceive which comes upon you. Something which we all have to be conscious of. Every last one of us who seeks righteousness, we have to be conscious that we do not destroy our deeds by not doing it purely for the sake of Allah, but doing it for the admiration of others. And the fast, the true fast, is training in this kind of action. Doing righteous deeds purely for the sake of Allah. Because the true fast cannot be done to show off to others. Because the fasting is something which is internal. It is something which is not seen externally in the full sense. It's something not seen externally. Like prayer is something you're... It's an external action. You know, giving of zakat. These, these are all externals. Whereas fasting is something which is in the full sense internal. And this is why Allah in a hadith known as Hadith Qudsi wherein the, Allah has said something directly to Prophet Muhammad and he's related it to us which is not in the Quran he said that fasting is only for me and I am the one who will reward it so this means that the true fast the realities of the fast are internal. It means that what we spoke about earlier of giving up evil speech, evil thoughts, etc. during Ramadan are critical. This is the aspect which no person will know about externally. That we have controlled ourselves for the sake of Allah. We have to concentrate on this to take benefits from this aspect of the lessons of Ramadan. The fifth lesson is that of moral training, moral character training. That in this month we try to do more good and we try to avoid more evil. We try to give up using bad words, cursing, etc. We're also told 
by the Prophet that if somebody wants to fight with us, get into an argument, etc., and they start to curse us, etc., our response to them is to say, Inni Sa'imun. I'm fasting. That is our way. That's our response to them. Don't get into it with them. We just say, I'm fasting. Avoid. This is what we should be applying throughout this month. And if in fact we come out of this month and there has been no change in our moral character, in the way that we communicate with others, the way that we treat others, if there has not been any improvement in the course of this month, then we have not really fasted. So I said this month is a concentrated series of lessons. Not that we only do them during this month and then outside of this month we don't do them. No. But that we make a concerted effort, an additional effort in this month so that when we come out of this month we have improved our status, our overall Islamic status. It is, there is an improvement between after and before. There is a difference before and after, before the month and after the month. <clears throat> the sixth lesson, and perhaps according to the Imam, it is, in his view, the greatest lesson of Ramadan. And that is that the believers feel or realize that change is possible. You see, in this life, when we look around and we see the status of Muslims today, corruption throughout the land, people are involved in all kinds of innovations, and they have become so far away from Islam, it's very easy for us to say there is no hope. Very easy. There seems to be no hope for Muslims. Their situation is just getting worse and worse and worse. And we know that the only way that it is possible for that situation to change is if the Muslims change. And when we look around we say, how can they change? People who have been living all their lives involved in these aspects of shirk and bid'ah, you know, innovation, you know, and corruption, etc. How can these people change? There is no way for these people to change. What Ramadan tells us, if we look into Ramadan carefully, is that it is possible for this change to take place. How? When we look at the masjid in Fajr, the masjid which during the rest of the year is empty, we see full people are filling up the masjid. Now, we know that some people, for some people, it's just a ritual. We talked about that already. Ramadan Muslims. Right? But the point is that for many other people, it's not people who are just, uh, you know, they really have no belief and it's just a ritual they're going through. No, there are people who believe, but during, due to the weakness of their belief, they end up making their prayer at home or whatever. They've not given up prayer. But in Ramadan, they will come to the masjid which is what they know they should be doing anyway. So we see a change taking place. The masjids become full in Ramadan. When outside of Ramadan, they're not. 
If we look at the Qur'an, the Qur'ans which are throughout the year dusty, dust builds up, piles up on them all through the year. In Ramadan, the dust is blown off, people are reading the Qur'an. We have examples here behind us, people reading the Qur'an, you know. After every prayer, we see people picking up the Qur'an and reading the Qur'an. Large numbers of people. Again, as we said, some people it is just a ritual. But there are, for many people, people who know I should be reading the Qur'an. But due to this reason and that factor and the other, you know, they get uh, distracted and are too busy to read the Qur'an as they should. So in this month, they're trying to make up and to read more Qur'an. And of course, if they're reading Qur'an with a consciousness, you know, thinking about what Allah is saying to them, it, inshallah, will improve them and help them to change. We also see amongst people a change in, some, in their behavior. You know, people who outside of Ramadan will get into arguments quickly with you, etc. You find during Ramadan, you know, they tend to hold back. So you find change taking place in character, in practice. We also find, for example, that in Ramadan, people are able to, to give up certain corrupt habits, etc. that outside of Ramadan they can't. And the example that the Imam gave was that of smoking. You know, you have chain smokers who, you know, you talk to them outside of Ramadan, brother, this is haram. You are killing yourself. You know, suicide is haram in Islam. So and so. But, well, you know, I know, brother, but, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I can't give it up, man. It's just, when I give it up, I get headaches. You know, I just, you know, my body goes through, you know, what they call withdrawal. And, you know, I just can't function. I have to have the cigarette. But in Ramadan, he quits. During, the, he might... As soon as he breaks the fast, he might be smoking. But during the day, for that, you know, 10 hours or whatever, he's not smoking. If you ask him to give up for 10 hours during the rest of the year, he'll be shaking. He can't do it. But in Ramadan, somehow, he is able to do the impossible. What during the rest of the year appears impossible, he's doing. These are all among the signs that let us know that it is possible for change to take place. Muslims are able to change themselves. We can change the present condition of Muslims. However, it's going to involve jihad. Jihad on ourselves, our own desires, jihad, you know, waging a holy war, if we do such a thing as a holy war, you know, waging war against ourselves, against the evil which is within ourselves and outside of ourselves, in our family, in our communities, in the society, in the nation. We have to wage war against it. But with patience, if we are firmly behind our efforts, then firmly behind our efforts, then change becomes possible. And it is only those who disbelieve really in Allah who give up any hope for change. Who give up any hope that Allah will come to our aid. If we make an effort, change can take place and we can receive the blessing and support of Allah, which would give us success in establishing or re-establishing Islam within our lives, our families, and the countries and around the world as a whole. So, as a summary, 
we said that Ramadan has lessons. Among them, taqwa, consciousness of Allah. The strengthening of our bonds with Allah through worship. Developing patience and strengthening our will. Fleeing from doing acts of worship for the admiration of others. Developing and improving our character, our moral character. And perhaps the greatest of lessons, realizing that change is possible. This is not to say these six which the Imam mentioned are the only possible lessons which may be gained from Ramadan. But these are major lessons which we all should reflect on and strive over the course of the next two-thirds of the month to try to get something of these lessons so we may come out of Ramadan having benefited from the fast and having come closer to Allah in our actions as well as in our faith. If there are any uh, points which I missed, anybody would like to add? As the Imam usually when he's speaking he's saying many things, we try to pick up as many as we can, there's usually one or two points that slip by. If anybody else caught something? Are there any comments or questions people would like to raise concerning Ramadan? Uh, I'd just like to point out that I've noticed from reading some of the hadith that one of the things that's most encouraged in Islam um, is that if you do something good, you should try to do it continuously or you, you do it uh, regularly. Uh, and something small which is done regularly is much better than doing a big gesture from time to time. Uh, and particularly these people who are just going to the mosque in Ramadan should think about that. Uh, this uh, additional recommendation from Prophet Muhammad to try to be constant in our actions is something that we all should reflect on. However, one should not think from that statement of the Prophet Muhammad that it's better for us to do a little regular than a lot intermittently. But since that's the case, there's no point increasing our actions in Ramadan because a person could also take a, uh, this other interpretation from the statement. So it's better you just keep doing a little and do it regular outside of Ramadan, inside of Ramadan, you know, than to try to do a lot in Ramadan and then you come out of Ramadan you can't keep it up. No. Though the recommendation in general is that it is better to do a little regularly than a lot intermittently, Ramadan still is a period of time in which we are encouraged to do as much as we can to increase all of what we're doing and this increase this increase is not uh, it does not become meaningless or loses its value if when we come out of Ramadan we're not able to maintain the same 
uh, status or the same level. It, it doesn't mean that. Because what has happened is that Allah has set certain periods, you could call them seasons, in which good deeds are increased in their value. Certain places in which good deeds are increased in their value. So for one to try to take benefit of this, this is why, why has Allah said this? He said this one for His grace to be available to those who seek it. And as a means of encouraging us to increase our actions. Even if it is for a period of time, because when we do it even for that period of time, when we come out of it, if we do it sincerely, it will raise our general level of practice. So, though we should keep in mind that we should try to maintain whatever good we do, we should try to maintain that level. Not to do a lot of good today and nothing tomorrow, but try to increase our practice gradually. This is really what, you know, is being recommended here. That when we are doing good deeds, we're trying to establish our practices. We try to build gradually, you know, step by step. There's no point in trying to pray at night, you know, every night, and we don't pray our five times daily prayer. You know, we're missing Fajr all the time. You know, we're missing Fajr, getting up, we can't make it to the masjid. Certain basic, fundamental things we have not established, but we're getting up for that night prayer every night. No. This is, this is the idea. That it's better we start with the basics. Establish the five daily prayers, because that's what required of us. Number one, first question that we're asked about on the Day of Judgment is the compulsory prayer. So that's the one we have to deal with first. Establish that in its correct time, in the masjid. After we've established that and that becomes a regular practice, then we add to it. This is a, here, here's our increase. We're building gradually. So whatever we add, it remains there. This is the idea behind the hadith. Some people maybe calculate that in Ramadan all the good deeds have a value of 10 uh, to deeds outside of Ramadan. If you fast the whole month, then your sins can be forgiven. So it's probably good. I was just making the point that some people maybe calculate that uh, the good deeds have a value of 10 times in Ramadan and that there's a hadith that if they fast the whole month of Ramadan, their sins are forgiven. So maybe they're mistakenly thinking, hey, you know, if I'm a good Muslim one month a year, then I'm okay till the uh, next year. And that's the point I was trying to make. Well, you know, of course, uh, that concept, you know, where a person is not practicing Islam throughout the year and then practices Islam in Ramadan, believing that that will make up for the 11 months where he is a disbeliever, of course, we, we have uh, discussed this at length, that this is, is, uh, it has nothing to do with Islam. But it is true that fasting in this month, you know, with the correct spirit, it does remove our sins. 
It has that quality, Allah has promised. But we said this is only for those who fast with the correct spirit of fasting. One who is a disbeliever 11 months out of the year cannot become a believer for one month out of the year. He can go through the ritual of the believers for that one month, but he cannot become a believer for that one month. So, of course, those people who we call the Ramadan Muslims are really Ramadan non-Muslims. Brother? non-Muslims to partake of our food during Ramadan for the purpose of da'wah, of enlightening them to Islam, of course this is something commendable, whether in Ramadan or outside of Ramadan. But what we mentioned was a general principle, you know, that actually Prophet had said that only the pious should eat our food, and we should only eat the food of the pious. This is sort of a general principle which the Prophet Muhammad has given us. As a general principle. But it doesn't mean that for the purpose of da'wah, we may not go and eat the food of a person who is impious, or that we may have an impious person come and eat our food. Where the goal is da'wah, and not merely friendship. You see, this is the point where the Muslim has got to be clear in terms of who do we take as our close friends who come to our homes and share our food and you know our friendship, our love, etc. These should only be the pious. That we do not have a body of friends who are our buddies and you know old time friends or whatever who are not pious people, whether they call themselves Muslims or they don't call themselves Muslims. And our relationship with them is just one of, you know, talking about the old days and, you know, what a good time and what we'd like to do and material things, what I want to buy, I want this house, I want this. It's just the dunya. That type of, of, of friendship, that type of relationship is disliked in Islam. It's despised. It's because it destroys faith. You know, Allah, you know, makes and statements to this regard in a number of verses in the Quran that you will not find the believers taking the disbelievers you know as their close friends and, and confidants and the term kafir can be used in a good sense 
or it could be used in, in, in a negative sense, it could be used as a curse word, or it could be used as a, as a descriptive word. It's just like the word mutawa. Right? Mutawa, it means a volunteer, a person who voluntarily commands the good for the pleasure of Allah. But you know how people use the term mutawa. You know? It's used like a curse word sometimes. So, similarly, the term kafir, which is a description of a state of a people who hide their faith, who are disbelievers. This could be used as a curse word. I believe it's in, in South Africa they re refer to the pagans as kafirs. Right? They've taken this with, uh, this is the Christians, you know, or dark-skinned people, you know, they recall this term kafir. Right? It's used as a curse word like. Uh, and we may find some Muslims in, in uh, dealing with non-Muslims when they should be trying to reach them you know, getting the message of Islam to them, they are cursing them in this fashion. Oh, it's a kafir, you know, I, I wouldn't want to have anything to do this kafir. You know, this, of course, this type of approach is wrong. When we look at the disbelievers, we should look at them as a doctor looks at the sick. His patient, the patient, those who are sick. He looks at them with some compassion that they are in a state of ill health and I need to find some remedy to help them. This is how the believer looks at the disbeliever. They are sick. They need help. Of course, you have some, you know, who are not satisfied with being only in a state of disbelief, but who are going to try to harm the believers, take up arms against the believers. I'm not saying I mean, you may still look at this person as being sick and in need of help, but you have to fight him. Right? You, you have to, your approach to him will be different from one who is sick and just doesn't know he's sick or whatever. You try to help him, you know, you reach out to him, right? trying to be kind, etc. Whereas the one who is sick and knows he's sick and is coming to try to destroy you because you stand for health, good health, spiritual health, then the only way that you can deal with such a person is by force. Uh, questions from the sisters. Is tasting food we cook, does it break our fast? Well, technically speaking, if a person does not swallow what they have tasted, it does not break the fast. But it's something very, very dangerous. You know, it's like playing with fire, as they say, right? You know, so I would, my advice would be that, uh, that you don't taste the food, you know, during the fast. You know, you prepare whatever foods, you know, your seasoning, whatever, before the sahur when you can taste it, you know, uh, or even for the breaking of the fast, so you've already determined what the taste is like, and then you just have to go through the, the actual mixing and the cooking. Uh, better to do it that way than to put yourself in that situation. You know, because though, as I said, technically speaking, if you taste it, put it on your tongue, you know, which gives you an idea of what it tastes like, and then you spit it back out again, that you have not broken your fast. But you are, you know, putting yourself in a position which, where it, it may be 
possible for some of it to slip down your throat and you know you feel it going down your throat and if you do that then you've broken your fast so as general advice I would say you know one should avoid uh, tasting foods during Ramadan smelling the foods you know some people mistakenly think that if you smell the food also uh, that this may break your fast no this doesn't at all can you start eating and drinking or can we still eat and drink if the adhan has already started that is for sahur if you're eating or drinking the adhan goes do you have to stop immediately whatever you're doing no in fact Prophet has said that if the adhan goes and you have a bowl of food or a glass of drink in your hand finish it before putting down the vessel that is you finish eating what is in your hand not that the adhan goes and there was some food there that you planned to eat so you go now pick it up and start eating no you're limited to what is in your hand and of course you know one has to take this in the correct spirit too because it also means that you know if you've had ample time to eat etc then you know the adhan is coming in another minute so now you pick up a whole bunch of things and fill your arms with food and drink you know, so you can continue eating for another 15-20 minutes after the adhan you know again though we may be complying with the letter of what the Prophet ﷺ said you know we're not in fact complying with the spirit no uh, the adhan is at the time of the of the uh, thread the white thread of the day appearing this is when the adhan that we are hearing goes there used to be two adhans in the time of the Prophet there was a pre adhan which was made three no. oh okay yeah. in some places in Riyadh you will hear the two right uh, but in the Prophet's time it was common they had two of them you know one was a pre them which was made by Bilal and um, this was to let the people know that the Adhan for Fajr was coming and then uh, Ibn Umm Maktoum the blind uh, companion of the Prophet would give the Adhan of Fajr so the one we're hearing now is that Adhan of Fajr which is when the white thread appears the white thread of the morning appears distinct from the night uh, our own saliva our own saliva is okay I mean this is part of your system uh, saliva is going down your throat all the time you're not breaking fast by doing that you know I mean conceivably we could create a circumstance right where if we go around smelling enough foods and thinking about food enough that we can get a mouthful of saliva right and uh, you know then you could end up in a state where it's like you're actually drinking you know but um, under normal circumstances uh, if one gets saliva in one's mother know some people are mistaken in this and you'll find people spitting all the time uh, this is uh, saliva which you may swallow is not uh, considered uh, breaking the fast when you wash your mouth after wudu 
and you spit out what is in your mouth. That process of washing your mouth will cause the saliva to flow afterwards. It is not required of you, after you spat out what you have gargled with now, for you to continue to spit until the saliva stops being produced. No. I mean, once you have spat out what was in your mouth, then whatever else comes in your system is a part of your system. You know, maybe you might have a runny nose, right? And it's draining into your system the whole time through the fat. This does not break your fat. Okay. Question? It's not about Ramana. But um, in Indonesia, it's not uncommon for the people to uh, use the blood, for Muslims to use the, the blood of the animals to make food with. Now the question is, if um, what they do is they'll, they'll slaughter the animal and then catch the blood in the cup and save it for later, is the meat of that animal then haram to eat? A uh, question uh, for those who couldn't hear it is that our brother mentioned in Indonesia there's a common practice of the people when they slaughter an animal uh, collecting the blood and using it later for cooking purposes I guess making gravy or whatever you know uh, it, we know that saving the blood is haram for a Muslim to save that blood, to collect that blood, to cook with that blood, etc., is haram. It makes that food that they're eating haram. Now, is the animal which is slaughtered according to the Islamic principles, but the blood is collected, is that, does that animal become haram? No. The animal does not become haram. So then if you go to the butcher and you insist that he slaughters in front of you and he slaughters and saves the blood and then gives you the meat, it's okay to take it. Yes. If the butcher slaughters, collects the blood for himself, but gives you the meat, that meat is halal meat. What he is doing with the blood is what is haram. Any other questions? Or comments? Uh, if a person in a dream has, he's sleeping, obviously he's sleeping during the day, and he has a, what we call a wet dream, does that dream now break his state of fasting? Uh, it doesn't, because this is something which has happened outside of his control. He still has to make a ghusl upon waking, he or she, they have to make a ghusl, complete bath, upon awakening. However, any act which takes place, which will normally break the fast, but outside of a person's consciousness, like if you um, forget that you were actually fasting, and um, you took a glass of water and you drank it, after you finished drinking, you're conscious of, oh, I was fasting. That drinking, or if you ate something, does not break your fast because it was done in a state of forgetfulness. Uh, erection. Um, this doesn't break fast. Any other... Uh, using toothpaste. No, using toothpaste does not break the fast either. 
you know, toothpaste is similar to cleaning one's teeth with miswak. As we pointed out before, that it was the practice of Prophet to use miswak while fasting. Miswak has juices and a taste to it. However, when one does so, one should not turn the miswak, as we said, into a lollipop where they're, they've got the miswak in their mouth all during the day, chewing on it and, you know, just swallowing the juices uh, because then it becomes, it does become a form of eating. One does, you know, drinking here. Now, one is, in fact, breaking one's fast. Similarly, with the, the toothpaste, you brush your teeth, wash your mouth out, spit it out, fine. But if you are, you know, brushing your teeth all the time, sucking on your toothbrush or, you know, uh, savoring the taste of your toothpaste, then you could be entering into a state of breaking your fast. Pardon? Incense. No, incense doesn't break the fast. Burning incense does not break the fast. Uh, I love this. Uh, I think in Al Bakr talking about. Uh, in retreat in the mosque and that those systems they talk about and certain conditions in regard to our wives and so on. Could you give us more details on that? The question was concerning Yatikaf, the uh, retreat to the masjid, which was a part of the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad, particularly in the last ten days of Ramadan. And uh, particularly uh, in the last part of his life, he actually increased that time to 20 days. So actually, the, the month of Ramadan, the principle of retreating to the masjid is one which is encouraged for those that are able. And during the period of the retreat, of course, uh, one stays away from one's family in the sense of sexual relations, etc. So it means that even in the night, uh, I mean, though it is halal for one to have relations with one's wife during the night because one is in a state of retreat, one will not be involved in that. Um, this is a, a means of increasing one's acts of worship. One spends a period of time in the masjid. And there are some statements of Prophet Muhammad to indicate that this i'tikaf really is only valid in Mecca and Medina. Yeah. There are certain actual statements of Prophet which indicate that. Though it is commonly understood by most of the various schools of Islamic law that one may do so in any masjid. Okay. Can one make the one, two, three days? Oh, okay. The question is, uh, can the be for less than ten or more than twenty? Of course, this is, some, this is a voluntary act. One may, you know, do what one is able to do. It could be the last five days, if that's all that one is able to do, the last one day, you know. It doesn't have to be ten or nothing. Do we have to spend the whole day? Yes, normally you spend the whole day and night, with the exception of going out to uh, use the bathroom, or if there is some need that your family uh, has which only you can provide for them. You know, you may go out, get that need, purchase something, give it to the family and go back to the masjid. But you're not outside of it, you know, for anything beyond 
a dire need or an immediate need. Yeah, huh? Not eating. Well, I mean, after, after, uh, after we break our fast, after Islam, then we, if you're in a house, it's not that. Generally... Oh, people may step out to eat and come back, yes. Yes, yes. Because you're not allowed to bring in the, you know, you say they're not allowing you to bring in meals into the masjid, right? So you have to step out to eat, so you get, you step out to eat something and come back in again, yeah. But there are some brothers who will come and they will stay the far away. No, this is not really etiquette because the staying in the hotel is not. Uh, if this is just, or you know, this is just a question of convenience. It's you know more comfortable to lie in your bed in the hotel than to sleep in the haram. So for those people who may spend the whole day. You know, pray to Hajjud or the Tarawih and then leave the masjid and spend the rest of the night in their hotel and then come back in next to masjid again in the morning. This is not Yatikaf. No. They'll get the reward for what they're doing in terms of the prayer the, in the masjid, etc. But they would not get the additional blessings of making Yatikaf or the seclusion in the masjid.